Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Fredland, and we are officially sponsored by Running Aces Casino and Racetrack. And I am super excited this week because we are kicking off a brand new series. I don't know how many parts it's going to be, but we are going to be looking at building a poker strategy from the ground up. I'm going to be using myself as an example. And so I'm reaching out to recreational players, reaching out to pros, and we are going to build my strategy from the ground up. And I think this is going to be incredibly insightful for many of us who are either looking to build or rebuild or challenge our current strategy or even think about poker in terms of an overall strategy. I think this is going to be incredibly insightful as we go. And so I'm really excited to share this with you and and to start getting rolling and open up the discussion and engage many of you in dialogues about this. Because one thing that we'll learn is that there are many different strategies, many different approaches. And so there's, and oftentimes there's not a single right answer, but it's the process of thinking it through that's actually going to add richness and value and improve all of our games. And so today you're going to hear from the likes of uh, contributing pros, Jonathan Little from PokerCoaching.com, Mike Schneider from the Poker is Fun Tour, Kenna James of KennaJames.com, Jordan Young from the Solve for Why Academy, and Hunter Sitchi from Check Shove Poker. And we're also going to hear from a number of regular a recreational player, Steve Barton, who hosts the Heads Up Poker Podcast, who just had me on his show. Uh, I think it's going to air here in a couple of days. Uh, John Somsky, Matt Hamilton, Derek Smith, Mike Engelhopt, Tristan Zeman, Jerry Kniff, Bradley Olson, Jefferson Kupferberg, Mike Kolupsek, Chris Hall, John Bensky, Chris Gordon, and Joshua Isaacson, all contributing to this episode. So thanks to all of you for being a part of that deal. Also, a quick shout-out to Running Aces. They have great weekly tournaments, great staff. John, Dan, Chris, Luke, all those guys there are fantastic. A number of great players who I get an opportunity to tangle with. People like Clint and Bernie and Mike G and all these other guys. Fantastic players. And just a heads up, this weekend they're having the great Minnesota get-together or whatever tournament they're calling it uh, happening the same week as the Minnesota State Fair. A really cool um, big stack opportunity for not a high price point. Uh, I think it's about a $210 buy-in. It's $150 plus $10 plus $50 if you want, optional. And you get $10K for $150, another $10K for a $10 add-on. And then you get another $20K for a $50 uh, rebuy or um, uh, flexible where you can use it anytime up to the end of registration. So at the end of the day, you can pretty much get $40,000 in chips for $210. Uh, super deep stack, a two-day event, a number of day ones. So check that out. It's going to be a blast. So with that, let's get into, uh, I guess, this first week session. Now, I provided a ton of background, probably more than they ever wanted to those who are going to be contributing to the episode, shared with them some of my motivations behind poker, which are really the reasons why I play, which were really to have fun, to learn and get better, and ultimately to win. But having fun and learning, learning and getting better were really my primary objectives Uh, because it really is my hobby. Now, I want to be good. I want to be successful, but I really want to have fun. That's part of this deal. I also shared a bit about my personality, how I'm wired, uh, which I think uh, I don't need to share all the details here, but I wanted to make sure that those who are thinking it through, thinking my personality was going to be woven into my strategy, had some of that background there. And also shared a bit about my strengths and weaknesses, because I think it's important as I build my strategy to really be self-aware. What am I good at? What am I not so good at? And 
My strengths, I would say, include any math-related element. I'm an actuary by trade. Uh, I have a math degree. I have an MBA. I'm an analytic is what I do in my daytime job. And so my strengths really include those math-related elements like the concept of utility theory, uh, ICM. I'm also very good at uh, I can stay engaged for long periods of time. I'm generally very patient. I'm disciplined. Um, I think I'm pretty good at developing strategies in unique situations like qualifiers or at the end of day one tournaments where there's chip buybacks. I'm also very good at being friendly and personable at the table and emotionally handling well both victory and defeat. I would say my weaknesses are definitely my memory, spending significant amounts of time and energy on things that aren't that valuable or that I'm going to forget and I won't know how to apply. So I spend energy on things that aren't really going to be uh, used later. Uh, Also, I'm not very good at understanding and leveraging physical and verbal tells. Uh, I struggle with showing too many hands. I I don't wear sunglasses, even though I know it helps me feel more confident. Uh, I'm also capable of punting 10 to 20 big blinds in weird spots. And I think I do too much hero calling on the river. And another thing that I noticed about my current game is that I might not be balancing the times when I take aggressive action versus passive action based on my holding. In other words, I think I check my big blind, or my, you know, when I have a big hand, I think I check those too often relative to the times that I bet my bluffs or semi-bluffs. So I might be perceived as the guy who checks when he has it and bets when he doesn't. Now, I'm not sure about this, but that is my intuition tells me that people may read me as that sort of player because that's what I probably tend to do in an unbalanced way. And I also think people get there a lot on me because I may not price them out of their draws. So I may allow people to stay in too often with their draws, and so they're going to hit more often against me. But on the other side of that, I pick up a lot more value than people, um, than other people who bet bigger because uh, I do pick up value when people don't get there. So uh, I'm not sure if that's a good or bad thing, but it's just another thing I've noticed about my strategy versus some of the other strategies I've seen out there. And I did share a bit about um, the, my scope for developing the strategy. Generally, I play smaller tournaments, those $50 to $150 tournaments that are maybe 10K in starting chips, blind levels of 15 to 30 minutes, usually done in four to six hours. Fields are usually 40 to 150 players. I do mix in some $300 tournaments and also uh, an occasional $1,000 to $1,500 tournaments. Usually the max are two-day events. And so... Those are the types of tournaments I'm usually playing. Those are the tournaments I want to really build an optimal strategy around that. And so what I did is I sent all of this context about me and my styles, my strengths and my weaknesses. And I think that's really a great place to start. If you're thinking about rebuilding your strategy, I would say start there, really making sure you're self-aware. And if you're not sure, talk to your friends, talk to your other players that know you pretty well and ask them about your your uh, your style and uh, what they perceive as your strengths and weaknesses. I think that's an important place to start. So I sent all of that context to these folks, and then I asked them a series of questions, and we are going to be breaking these down each week. And what I'm going to do is share the question with you, and then I'm going to share the feedback that I received. Uh, I received feedback in terms of Twitter polls, Facebook posts, uh, some emails, and then some written comments from some people as well as some audio Uh, submissions. So I'll share all of that feedback with you. And then what I'll do is I'll come back and I'm going to share with you what my key takeaways were from that and how I'm going to use this information, synthesize it to start building my strategy. So that's going to be the format 
for the next several weeks unless we mix it up a little bit. So with that, the first question that I asked was, based on what you know about me, either through what I described or knowing me personally, and what you know about the tournaments that I play, what do you think would be my optimal default strategy? Now, another way to think about this is um, many people write about categorizing players. We think about um, GTO versus exploitive, passive versus aggressive, tight versus loose. So if we think about those different categories, what would be the optimal strategy that we should choose as we are thinking about building our strategy? And so that was the question going in. I think a lot of the feedback you'll you'll hear is going to sort of debunk that categorization, but we'll talk about that a bit on the end of this. I had some great insights from a lot of the comments that were given, but that was the question that I posed. And so to start with, uh, I did put out a Twitter poll, and I did say, ask this question, when, when I'm building a strategy for a live No Limit Hold'em tournament, should my personality impact the playing style that I choose? Should my personality and playing style be consistent, opposite, or independent? In other words, not having an impact. And we got 75 votes on Twitter. 33% of the people said you should be consistent. Your playing style should be consistent with your personality. 5% said you should actually try the opposite. And 62%, so the overwhelming majority, about two-thirds of people said your personality should have no impact on the playing style that you choose. And there was one comment I thought that was interesting out here. Uh, Jordan Young of the Solve for Y Academy said, if I'm able to watch someone play for an hour or two with whole cards exposed, I am confident that I can tell you how they live their life as well. Play to your personality because within your personality, you'll find your pain threshold along with your level of risk adversity. And then in, on Facebook, I posted this question in the Rec Poker group, and Bradley Olson, Jefferson Kupferberg, and Mike Kolupsak all said uh, it needs to be independent. You should not have your playing style dictated by your personality type. Chris Hall and John Vensky said that uh, the playing style that you have should be based on your opponent. So it's another way of saying it should be independent uh, of my own personality, but it should be geared toward who the opponent is that I'm facing. Chris Gordon said, it should be consistent. Otherwise, it's going to be awkward and easier for others to read. Uh, it's going to take far more concentration and far more stress. It's better to be natural and relaxed and enjoy what you plan to spend many hours doing. And Joshua Isaacson said, I've personally had my biggest caches playing a style that's about 90% consistent with my personality. That being said, I wouldn't have been able to make those caches without the 10% difference. It might even be closer to 95.5. So some interesting information coming out of Twitter and Facebook. And now let me read a couple of the, uh, the written submissions. Uh, these are from Hunter Sitchi. Uh, well, Hunter is the, uh, the leader of the Czech Shove Poker. And Hunter said this, and I thought this was very good. He said, Steve, it would be best for you not to think in terms of tight versus loose, passive versus aggressive, so on and so forth. Think in terms of goals and objectives. Your goal should be to maximize the value of every decision you make. Become the player type that is most likely to succeed in each stage of the tournament. Don't get trapped in a little descriptive box like that. If you, if you value my advice and you're interested in my poker coaching resources, you can learn more at checkshovepoker.com. And Mike Engelhopt said, I think optimal is to have an idea of what GTO ranges look like 
but then adjust them based on table dynamics and your stack size. I think the players you are playing against most of the time are not balanced GTO, so you need to be playing exploitatively. I think it's important to remember that if you have a deep stack, preflop ranges really aren't a massive leak, assuming you aren't cold calling 4 bets for heaps with weak holdings and then folding on 90% of flops. Preflop ranges as a tournament player get more and more important the shorter your stack becomes. I would say start using software to find your default ranges around 40 to 60 big blinds. Okay, so thanks, Hunter and Mike. I appreciate that. Now we're going to roll into our audio files, and this is fantastic. We've got audio from Steve Barton, Mike Schneider, John Somsky, Jonathan Little, Matt Hamilton, Derek Smith, Tristan Zeman, Jerry Kniff, and Kenna James. And so once we're done with those audio files, I'll come back and I'm going to share with you how I synthesize all of this and what I'm going to really take out of this for my strategy going forward. Steve Barton here from the Heads Up Poker Podcast, and I want to thank Steve for having me on the show. Question one. Um, basically, I'll summarize it. Default strategy in uh, poker tournaments. Um, in the poker tournaments that you're describing, uh, from live ones that are going to be 50 to $150, some $300 tournaments mixed in there, and a few times a year you probably play some 1Ks. Um, Generally speaking, as a default strategy, I would say that you want to be fairly tight in the uh, beginning stages of the tournament, loosening up in the middle stages, and by the end, you're, you should be very aggressive. The reason for this is that there's going to be a lot of recreational players there that are going to hemorrhage their chips uh, in the first few levels. They're going to be in there mixing it in with, uh, you know, three, five of hearts, uh, seven, eight of clubs, and uh, jack three suited, okay? And the way we can take advantage of that is we play a tighter range than they do. So when we have uh, things like uh, queen jack of spades, and you get one of these guys that is opening way too much, uh, let's say he opens from middle position, now we need to three bet. Okay, you you got to play ball. You got to uh, you got to three bet, and you got to isolate, get position on that guy, and try to play heads up with him. And this has been Steve Barton with the Heads Up Poker podcast. If you'd like to hear more, you can go to headsuppoker.poker. Hi guys, Mike Schneider here, I'm the founder of the Poker Is Fun Tour, which you can find at piftpoker.com. Also a member of the Minnesota Poker Hall of Fame. Anyway, on to the question here, in which I uh, wouldn't really be focused on trying to have any specific optimal default strategy as far as being passive or aggressive, tight or loose, etc. Like I, I really, when I'd be sitting down at the table, if I were you, I'd just look at it as, how are my opponents playing? How am I going to take advantage of that? I mean, especially in smaller and mid-stakes tournament buy-ins, majority of your opponents are are you making either small or so a lot of them oftentimes quite large mistakes so i would really be just focusing on how to exploit that but that said though i mean it's easy to say play with an exploitative or exploitative style but easy to say that but on the other hand the other half of that equation is the only way you can really know how to exploit somebody is what is when you know what the game theory op optimal way to play in is so 
If I were you, I would be, tr especially knowing your personality, you're like a very studious guy that loves to dig deep into things. I, I would be spending a decent chunk of my study and time trying to learn a little more about game theory, uh, optimal play, and especially we're looking at like range analysis, and then from there you can look at optimal three betting ranges and optimal checking back ranges. But game theory optimal play uh, really ties hand in hand with exploitative play in that once you once you know how people how what the the correct uh, optimal ways to do things are that makes it way easier to exploit people too so I mean like at lower smaller stakes tournaments and players are making bigger mistakes by either c betting every flop or they're cold calling all the time or they're open limping all the time like you a GTO play really helps you figure out how to take advantage of and capitalize on these uh, major pre-flop or post-flop mistakes your opponents might be making. So like instead of just saying like I feel like this player c-bets a ton, you you have like a greater sense of what is a ton, what isn't a ton, or just like bet sizing too. Like when uh, guys like are betting four times the pot in these smaller stakes things and being able to adapt to that and knowing what the uh, optimal like three bet sizing is in spots like if somebody opens a three and they make it 15 like that that should produce a different reaction for your your opening range or your your calling or re-raising re range compared to if they open you open a three and they make it seven and a half like that's you have a completely different four betting and calling range versus the, the seven and a half than versus the 15. So a lot of this GTO kind of stuff helps you tie exploiting together in with it once you know the correct optimal ways of playing spots. So I wouldn't be so worried about like trying to play aggressively or passively. I mean, there, there are times when passive play is optimal. There are times when really aggressive play is optimal. And the only way you know when it is is by by having a good strong foundation of fundamentally sound poker and then being able to deviate from that when necessary. So I hope that answered the question and again uh, this is Mike Schneider of the Poker is Fun Tour. Recently had events at Canterbury Park that uh, raised over I believe it was over $8,000 for the Ronald McDonald House and we'll be back soon probably at most likely 2019 will be the next time but uh you can keep in touch with us at PIFT Poker on Twitter and we'll keep you updated on the next events. Thanks. Goodbye. Under the gun strategy, John Somsky. Based on what I know about you, Steve, I'd say that you're most comfortable with a tight aggressive style of strategy. So I think this is where you should base the foundation of your strategy on. Of course, I think it's always a good idea to be able to play a little looser or more passive depending upon what the uh, table is offering you but your default premise should be tight aggressive I also think that at the stakes we're playing um, being exploitive is the way that you're going to make the most amount of money however as you're looking to exploit your opponents you need to make sure that you're not leaving yourself open to being exploited yourself that much. Hello everyone, this is Jonathan Little of PokerCoaching.com and for this question, basically you want to know what strategy I would suggest for you as your optimal default strategy, but really, 
I teach essentially everyone just to play strong game theory optimal poker. I'm not thinking I need to play a loose strategy or I need to play a passive strategy or an aggressive strategy. I'm thinking I need to play well. You have to understand, if you're going to develop a strategy that is not game theory optimal to start, you're saying one of a few things. First, you're saying that I think all of my opponents have the same generic flaws. Now, that could certainly be the case. Um, you know, If you're playing the same games against the same people on a regular basis, maybe you know for a fact that they literally never fold. Maybe you know they call very frequently pre-flop and on the flop, but then they fold a lot by the turn in the river, right? So in that situation, you need to develop a strategy to exploit that tendency. Maybe you know your opponent's just all weak, right? You should be playing really aggressively against them because they are going to fold way too often. Also, another reason you, made to, you may want to develop a non-game theory optimal strategy is because you know your opponents think that you are bad, right? Maybe they think that you fold too often on the river, let's say. And if that's the case, you want to develop a strategy that allows you to get to the river very frequently and that allows you to call river bets very frequently. Or maybe they think you're like overly loose and aggressive. So if they think you're overly loose and aggressive, they're going to hero call you more. And if they're going to hero call you more, then, well, you need to stop bluffing, right? But at the end of the day, most player pools are not just very generic because you are playing against a large range of people. And also, you don't know how your opponents think you play poorly. And also, you don't even know if your opponents are going to adjust to the things that you think that, uh, that you don't know if they're going to adjust to the things that they think you do incorrectly. They just may observe it and not do anything about it. So anyway, I teach everyone who studies under me to play strong game theory optimal strategies and then adjust to what they see their opponents doing incorrectly. Now, I may ask, what is game theory optimal? And that's a very, very big question. But in general, it means you're going to be somewhat balanced in most spots and you know, then you maybe do play a little bit different based on player pools. Like, for example, most people really don't like calling off their tournament life unless they have a really good hand. So maybe you want to bluff a little bit more in big pots. Or maybe, you know, people don't fold two pre-flop three bets very often, but then play very weakly after the flop. Well, in that case, you can just three bet a lot and then continuation bet a lot. So I definitely suggest everyone study poker from the point of view of I want to play in a manner that no matter what my opponents do, they're not going to beat me. They're either going to break even if they also play game theory optimal or they're going to lose. I actually teach this ex extensively over at pokercoaching.com. And I do this through a, through, through a few ways. I have a lot of quizzes where I essentially put you in my shoes and force you to play out my poker hands. And I give you my analysis on each street based on um, whether you, you know, raise, call, fold, whatever. And then we also have homework questions where I present a situation. And I ask, how do you play your whole range? A lot of people want to know like how to play pocket jacks or how to play top pair on the flop or how to play a busted straight draw on the river. But that's really not how you want to go about approaching poker. You want to ask, how do I play my whole range in this specific situation? And if you can figure out a way to balance your range in all spots, that's going to work out pretty well for you. Um, as a general, super generic response, you need to be three betting with some bluffs pre-flop, which is something a lot of people don't do. You also need to be betting the flop very frequently when you have a range advantage, but then betting with a balanced range whenever you don't have the range advantage. And this, you know, all takes time to learn. But um, typically, if you are not betting everything or nearly everything, you want to be betting with your best made hands, which are usually top pair, good kicker, and better, and your draws. And, you know, which draws you bet depends entirely on the board and your range, right? 
And then you need to be checking a lot of your medium strength made hands and a lot of your garbage. And that's just fundamentally sound poker. And if you do that and you balance your ranges appropriately based on the bet sizes and the, the stacks at hand, you'll usually do okay. I know that's not a great answer to should I play, like what is a strategy for me because we can't give a strategy for you in six minutes. But you have to understand that poker is a big game and it's a difficult game. And just thinking I'm going to play a loose aggressive strategy, that is not the right way to even approach the game, in my opinion. And approaching it from a more fundamentally sound point of view will go a long way to just making you a better poker player that will allow you to succeed at all levels, not just exactly the situation that you're in at the moment. Hey, this is Matt Hamilton, and this is my response to Steve's first question on his segment of uh, personal strategy. So the way I would answer this question is to say, um, I think it's, it's best for you to approach the game with a fundamental set of strategy that you kind of take to as, as a default strategy. So what I would say is that you mentioned things like GTO versus exploitive, passive versus aggressive, tight versus loose. I think kind of taking all that away and just breaking it down to what is my default strategy when I approach every tournament that I play. And I think you can have a default strategy in mind when you sit down at the table. So, for example, if you have a GTO strategy, the purpose of GTO is going to be to play in a way that's unexploitable by your opponents. So um, what that looks like is having fundamental sound approaches to your pre-flop ranges, what you're c-betting on the flop, what you're calling with, what you're barreling with, and and kind of always keep your opponent like in this state of indifference, whether they should call or fold, because you're you're playing in a way that's by nature unexploitable. Now it's hard to say exactly what unexploitable looks like because no limit hold'em is such an intricate game with a lot of different nuances but in summary i would say take a default approach to the game so i would say know your pre-flop ranges in every position know your basic strategy for continuing post-flop whether that's being the aggressor or being out of position and be able to pay attention when you're not in the hand and look to exploit your opponents. So having a default approach to the game, but also varying and kind of detouring away from that approach to take advantage of mistakes you see your opponent making. So like, if you're playing a GTO approach, you can be leaving a lot of money on the table if you don't vary from that approach to exploit your opponents. So like if your opponent is, if you have one opponent at your table that's opening like every hand, for example, if you play a perfect GTO strategy and you stick to all your ranges and whatnot, 
and you don't vary from that, you're going to be leaving a lot of EV on the table if you don't adjust to what your opponent is doing. So you make a simple adjustment by opening up your three betting range, you know, isolating him, punishing him post flop for playing such a wide range of hands. Like that's a, that's an exploit that you can use on top of your default strategy. So in summary, I would say have a default strategy, but use it's kind of a merge between GTO and exploitive play. You have a you have a default GTO strategy, but then you use exploits to kind of vary away from that based on what your opponents are doing. Hey, Rack Poker Podcast listeners, this is Derek Smith with feedback on the rebuilding of Steve Fredlin, the poker player. Steve, I'd suggest a balanced style, um, not necessarily too tight and not loose. I think you have a lot of experience playing um, and experience with hand ranging and people reading. So I don't think that you need to play necessarily tight nor loose, but can play a balanced style, uh, but not passive, definitely aggressive. Uh, it's more in line with your personality and it just generally is the more proper way to play when it gets to gto and exploitative i get a little stuck i think because of your experience and ability to range people and read that an exploitative style would be better but you're self-described as not having a great memory at keeping track of things people have been doing level after after level nor leveraging physical tells etc but you are good at math utility theory icm calculations things that are a bit more structure based so i definitely suggest continuing to learn and grow your GTO knowledge base and implement that balanced with exploitative as you go. Hi there, this is Tristan Zeman. I'm a rec poker player. Play at Running Aces, Turtle Lake, Canterbury Park. Pretty much all over the place. This question is pertaining to Steve Fredlin and uh, what I think of him from knowing him. Um, I would categorize him as a loose, aggressive opponent and an exploitative opponent. I think that tends to work better um, in these smaller tournaments because the life expectancy is short in fast-paced tournaments. When we're talking daily tournaments, $50 tournaments, $100 tournaments, even the double stack. If Once you're playing it for a while, you'll notice that you're, uh, you know, once you're in it for about five hours, you only everyone's only got about 20 big blinds so the goal of these tournaments should be to uh, build up chips quickly and you do that by playing aggressive and exploiting players you're not going to do that um, by playing tight unless the deck hits you in the face with that said um, I think aggress the aggressive approach and exploitive approach is the good approach in these smaller buy-ins GTO that's just that's good they're using that in higher level play but i don't think that's really going to get you anywhere in smaller buy-ins greens rec poker players this is jerry kniff contributing to the podcast i do not think that personality should affect or influence his play if he is a conservative player an observant opponent may then be able to range him better. I feel where personality comes into play at the table is doing things that make you feel more comfortable so you may play optimally. Period. For example, if you are more comfortable wearing sunglasses, by all means wear them. 
If listening to music helps make you more comfortable, by all means do so with just one earpiece so you can listen to conversation at the table. I think that when playing a strategy or building a range, I lean towards a GTO-based range, but being adaptable to the table. It also depends on early versus middle versus late stages of the tournament and buy-in of the tournament. A $50 or $100 buy-in tournament plays very differently than a $1,100 tournament. If I do deviate from a GTO strategy and become more exploitive, I want to answer the question of why am I doing this? Is it the stage of the tournament? The stack sizes behind me left to act. A particular player already in the pot that I know I can push off the hand on the flopper turn. Hi, Steve. Kenna James here with Kenna James Poker and Life Coaching for a better balanced game and a more fulfilling experience, both on and off the felt. You know, my coaching is really for those looking to play the game, not only at a higher level, but also needing to overcome those personal challenges and difficulties we all face in the game. And uh, so I answer from that point of view in dealing with your questions concerning the strategies and building your strategies in poker. I'm glad you sent your personal profile because it included some of the reasons you play. And that is important because purpose is always senior to strategy. And what I've extrapolated from that was that your purpose is really to have fun while learning the game and feeling good about how you're doing and progressing while playing tournaments. So the strategy advice that I'm going to give you is based around that. I think it's also important to define a topic when you talk about it so it's clear in what we're talking about. A strategy being a plan of action to accomplish a desired purpose or goal. So we must keep your purpose in line in order to execute a profitable or an effective strategy. And knowing you now, I would say your best strategy is definitely more a straightforward, solid approach, a GTO background because you have that um, interest in math, right, that can support you and, uh, and the numbers. Whereas a more exploitive, loose, creative style, I think you're going to get too far out of your comfort zone uh, much of the time. Maybe early in the tournament you can expand that towards that way a little bit. But as you get to the middle and the ending stage of the tournament, lean on your strengths, which is GTO, solid, and straightforward. I hope these answers have been helpful in you building your strategy and for your listeners there at home listening to improve their own game. I have great respect for students of the game and those studying to learn and improve and raise the level of their game. Enjoy the journey. Okay, well, that was just some fantastic stuff, and I've listened to those over and over again. I've been thinking about what does this mean for me as I'm just starting to rebuild my strategy. And what really uh, occurred to me is that I'd been thinking about GTO versus exploitive as sort of one or the other. And I think some people really do describe it as that. But what I'm thinking of now as I've listened to folks is really GTO is the foundation. 
it is the the default strategy that we need to have if we're going to really play optimal. Um, and then exploitative is how do we adjust the GTO to respond to players who are playing suboptimally relative to GTO. So in other words, if everybody's playing great GTO, then we need to also play GTO. The reason we would be exploitive is if other people are straying away from GTO, then we can have these counter strategies that can exploit their suboptimal play or their play that varies away from GTO. So the way I'm really thinking about this is GTO now, I think, needs to be the baseline of how I play and then responding and becoming tighter or uh, or uh, looser or passive or more aggressive in response to how the other players are playing. So that's the exploitive nature. So I don't think I need to go in thinking, should I figure out a GTO or an exploitive strategy? I need to go in with a GTO mindset, figure out what mistakes my my opponents are making, and then know how to counter those things to exploit those. So I think the same thing goes for uh, thinking about tight and loose and passive and aggressive as not really separate strategies that people choose uh, and not really thinking about, okay, that person is tight aggressive because of their overall playing style. I think I need to think about that in terms of how they're playing relative to GTO play. So I need to think, okay, how are they playing relative to GTO? Are they folding too much or playing too many pots or limping too much or raising too much or calling too much or three betting too much? I think that is the response. So if I can know how to play good, solid GTO play, then I can just react and counter those strategies to exploit. So I think uh, for many of you listening, that might not be any shock at all. But for me, it's a, it's a very different way of just thinking about GTO and exploitive and, and tight and loose and passive and aggressive. So I'm excited about that. So I think with this, my key takeaway is that I really need to learn GTO play. I need to determine and what people are doing that could be exploited beyond GTO and then develop counter strategies against those players. And so with that, my personality is not really incorporated into my playing style, but where my personality comes in is how I approach the game, how I engage with others, how I interact at the table, what's my posture toward the game. And uh, I think that is where it should come in. My personality should not influence if I'm tight or loose or passive or aggressive uh, instead, uh, allow my personality to flow through in my interactions. Uh, because if I'm playing based on my personality rather than solid GTO or exploitive play, that could lead to suboptimal approaches. So, so with all of that, I think my key takeaway here is that if you're building a strategy from the ground up, like what I'm going to be doing here is figure out what is optimal GTO play, figure out what your opponents are doing that is uh, suboptimal relative to GTO and therefore exploitive, and then figure out what are the counter strategies to those plays that will allow me to pick up additional value beyond the value I pick up by playing solid GTO play. So that is my conclusion uh, for week one of building Steve's poker strategy. So I would love to know what you thought of this format. We're going to have great questions going forward. But, you know, early on here, I'd love to know, did you like this format? Are there things that you would change? The more you want to hear, less you want to hear, because that's going to help me formulate it. And I really am dependent upon listener feedback to improve the show. So please, please, please reach out. 
on Twitter at Rec Poker, Facebook group Rec Poker, or even stevefredland at gmail.com. Happy to take direct emails from all of you. So thanks to the Recs and the pros, that those that gave feedback. I want to really encourage you, if you really want to help me out, like me, uh, like the podcast, comment, rate, review, subscribe, tell other people. If you want to wear a Rec Poker patch, just let me know. I'll send them out to you. We have sew-on and adhesive. I just need an address to send them, and I'll send them out to you. No cost there. And if you are interested in in buying or wearing a hat, shirt, sweatshirt, those are available at floptheworld.com slash poker. And any other feedback, any topic suggestions, I welcome those greatly. So with that, uh, I'm going to sign off for this week, and I am excited about this first step in rebuilding my poker strategy. Take care, y'all.